Hello, people of the way. We're going to continue our study through the book of Acts. And if you have your Bible, open up to chapter 27. Chapter 27 in the book of Acts. And if you recall where we left off last week, Paul, he had appealed to uh, 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 Caesar. And what's happening now is that he's on his way to Rome or he's actually starting his journey to Rome. If you remember last week when we ended in chapter 26, verse uh, 31, it says that this man is is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And so that's where we ended last week. And because he appealed to Caesar, now he's on his way to Rome. He's, he's got to go to Rome. And if you remember in chapter 23, verse 11, it was the Lord straight up red letters. It was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who says, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So let's go to Rome. Let's go to Rome. That's what the Lord is telling Paul. And it's so beautiful to see not only what's happening here, and you see the, uh, 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 um, the, the, the favor that the Lord has upon Paul, but then at the same time, you see his witness, his witness. And there's such a thing in military circles where you can be discharged, dishonorably discharged, or for conduct unbecoming of whatever unit you're in. You know, some units are a little lax, but you, know, but you can be discharged for conduct unbecoming. And the same thing applies to our walk in Christ. What is conduct unbecoming of a Christian? A lot of times people don't think that way. Christians, we get in trouble sometimes when we don't think, oh, you know what? I bring this honor to the Lord if I, you know, go back to the crack pipe. I bring this honor to the Lord. I grieve the Holy Spirit if I go to strip clubs. People don't think that way. And if that's you, if you don't think that way, I have something to tell you. Start thinking that way. Don't bring dishonor to the Lord. Have conduct that is becoming of a Christian. It's the Christian witness, the countenance of a believer. And what's so beautiful is this whole time you've seen Paul in captivity. Remember when everybody's like, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit was ministering to Paul saying, Paul, uh, chains await you. Chains await you. Chains and tribulation await you, Paul, when you go to Jerusalem. And Paul went to Jerusalem. And what's so beautiful that when he had his chains, you know, in years in captivity, and now he's on his way to Rome, you see his witness. He's not a rebel rouser. He doesn't, you know, roll up his sleeves and say, okay, Agrippa, we're going to go to town. You know, let's fight. Let's duke it out, Agrippa. No, he doesn't do that. You see his witness. And what's so powerful is when you read his letters, we're going to study, you know, starting in Romans, and we're going to read his epistles, the letters that he wrote to Christians, churches, and you're going to see as he exhorts the church, the Christians, the church, as he exhorts them and warn, warns them and, 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 and admonishes them, he's able to do it because he's taken the plank out of his own eye. He's, not, he's doing it without hypocrisy. Now, if you're a pastor or elder and you hear me say these things and you have hypocrisy, do you know what hypocrisy does to you? It biblically disqualifies you from warning another brother from correcting another brother or sister in Christ. It biblically, it, it, it doesn't work that way. You cannot be a hypocrite. You have to take the plank out of your own eye before you can see, uh, tell another brother or sister about a, the, the, a piece of dust in their own eye. People say, oh, don't judge lest you be judged. Well, keep reading. 
It's not like you go out and do wrong and nobody's supposed to correct you. It's you go out and do wrong and the one who's taking the plank out of his own eye, as out of her own eye, they're the ones who are biblically able to correct you and say, hey, cut it out, put down the crack pipe. Hey, cut it out, don't go to the strip club. Hey, cut it out, you know, give up your pornography, give up your alcohol, give up your whatever. Stop being a tax cheater. Those are the ones who are biblically able to correct Pastors and elders, not just pastors and elders, any Christian. But if you're a pastor and elder, take heed to what I'm saying. Because hypocrisy will ruin you. And you're held to a higher standard, a higher account. Let not many of you be teachers. And so at the same time, when we read Paul's letters to the churches, it's going to be so powerful. I mean, you read it and you're like, wow, that's beautiful. It's so powerful. But look who it's coming from. It's coming from a non-hypocrite. Somebody who he himself applied his teachings in his life, applied the Lord's teaching in his life. He doesn't say, hey, live in peace with other people. Live, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with men. Meanwhile, he's beating people up. He doesn't say, hey, you know, uh, sexual immorality, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Meanwhile, he's, you know, doing all kinds of sexual stuff. No way. That's hypocrisy. And that's what's so powerful about beautiful, beautiful brother Paul. Beautiful uh, brother Peter. All these people, it's like, well, how beautiful it is, this cloud of witnesses that we have, Old Testament and New Testament. And so you see Paul, he's a prisoner here in chapter 27. He's a prisoner. And there are certain perks of good behavior. And you see that in jail systems. You see that in prison systems. I mean, if you're in like, you know, prison and you're a punk in prison, you know, nine times out of ten, you're, you might be in solitary sometimes. Or you're just going to sit in your cell. You know, have guards all around you because, you know, you, you, you don't, you get in fights, you know, you do whatever. But if you're on good behavior, you get to work in the kitchen. You have certain perks. You get to work in certain locations, certain areas. They have working parties outside. You get to, you know, do landscaping outside. They take off your chains and you get to do landscaping. You know, there's still a guard there. But you're on good behavior. You have certain perks in the prison system. But, you know, if you're going to be doing all kinds of crazy things, you don't get the perks. You know, look at, you know, and as there's corruption too. I mean, you look at uh, mafia guys that are in prison. It's like, man, you know, that's kind of, that's pretty, pretty plush. Well, that's a corrupt system. But you see these perks here. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, they're just perks for Christian behavior. But in some ways, you see the favor of the Lord. And it rings true what our Lord teaches us. We're going to study these passages in Deuteronomy about blessings for obedience. And you see Paul's obedience but then at the same time, surrounding his obedience, you see the Lord's blessing. And it still applies to you and me today. Look at verse 1 here. And when it was decided that we should set sail to Italy. Remember, so what's happening here, Dr. Luke is with them. Part of these perks that Paul has, the blessings of obedience, blessings of the Lord from obedience. And you see how, if you remember a couple chapters ago in, uh, <clears throat> in uh, chapter 24, in verse 23, the governor commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to for forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. Like, wow, what kind of prison sentence is that? What kind of, what kind of period of captivity is that? 
where he can have visitors come. He can have liberty. Wow. And that's what I'm talking about. Perks. Perks. I should Maybe I shouldn't say perks, but I just want to get this imagery in your mind. Blessings of obedience. You know, Paul had, he was unjustly accused. He's in jail. Un, it's totally unjust. It's all a fabrication. It's all a lie. It's all a hoax. It's all a ruse. But yet, he's in jail. He's in jail for years. And he's on the way to Rome and he's in chains as a prisoner. You know, Paul, you see Paul, how he's treated? Like, wow, it's such an injustice. But then when he writes to the church in Corinth, you know, why not rather let yourself be cheated? Why not rather let yourself be cheated? He says it to the church in Corinth. But you know what's so beautiful about him saying that? He himself was cheated. So because he applied God's word in his life, he's not a hypocrite. When it's coming from him, from his writing, to say, let, why not rather let yourself be cheated? Whoa. Because he walked the walk, he talked the talk, and he walked the walk. He's not a hypocrite. There are a lot of pastors today, a lot of elders, a lot of Bible teachers today. They exhort the church. They warn the church. But if it's done with hypocrisy, there's no power. Zero power. It's just words. But when there's power behind it, do you know what the Lord does? Oh my goodness, look what he's done with Paul. Exhorting the church in Corinth. Exhorting the church a hundred years later, two hundred years later, a thousand years later, two thousand years later, give or take a couple years. But for right here, right now, his, his writings, his words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, are still exhorting us. That's what I'm talking about. Power. It's not his power. It's the Lord. You see? An empty vessel. An empty vessel filled of the Lord and poured out from the Lord. And wow, how powerful that is. Because here we are 2,000 years later. Give or take a couple years. And look what's happening. So you have Dr. Luke. He's with them. You know, these perks. He's able to have visitors. And we're going to see that in a couple passages. But look what happens here. When it was decided that we should sail to Italy, remember Paul appealed to Caesar. They delivered Paul to some other and, and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. Julius here. Beautiful, beautiful Julius. You know what's so cool about this? Is that you consider Dr. Luke. He's writing this down, a historical account inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, Dr. Luke, write this down. We need a historical account. And so Dr. Luke says, you know, yes, Lord, I will. He starts writing it down. And he himself doesn't see this centurion as the oppressor of Paul. No, well, he says, Julius. I'm going to put his name here, Julius. I mean, what would you, what would you do? Say you had a friend who was falsely imprisoned. It's all based on a hoax. And it's... You know that it's not good. You know, you didn't want him to go to Jerusalem, but he went to Jerusalem. And now look, he's going on his way to Rome. And it's probably not going to be good for him. And you know, you know, the climate for Christians, it's getting heavier and heavier. And here you have an oppressor, so-called oppressor. 
Are you going to write the name down? And I say that not to shame, but to challenge for your own conduct, for my own conduct. We're all in the same boat. To challenge ourselves. Measure our lives with Holy Scripture, with holy people contained in Holy Scripture, these beautiful cloud of witnesses. Not only do we see the witness of beautiful Brother Paul, we also see the witness of beautiful Dr. Luke, who's also a brother. And you see these things, it's like, wow, this is so beautiful to see. In verse 2, so entering a ship of Adoretium, we, we, put, we, we put to sail, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. So here they get on a ship there. If you look on the map, go to the back of your Bible. You might have to do Google, but, you know, uh, look online. But if you have in the back of your Bible maps, go to Maps. And you go find Jerusalem, go a little northwest of Jerusalem, and you'll see Caesarea. That's where Paul is. And that's where he has with, his, with Agrippa and, and Felix and Festus. It all happens there in Caesarea. And then after Caesarea, they get on a ship right there, a ship from Adoratium. If you see Adoratium, go way up northwest. And you see Adoratium way up there. Now it's off course from Rome. So they're going to jump ship a little bit. But, you know, they get on this boat. They got to go east or, or west. They got to go west. And follow along in maps here. It says Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. So remember, this is Paul's companion. Remember, Aristarchus was in chapter 19. And you see, wow, he's, Paul gets, Dr. Luke is there with him. Aristarchus is there. I wonder who else was there. Other brothers in Christ. I don't know if there were females there. You know, it was a ship of guys. I don't Probably no females there. I don't know. But, you know, the way I see it, it's like probably a bunch of guys. And so look what happens here in verse 3. And the next day we landed at Sidon. So they travel north from Caesarea. And Julius, the centurion, treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Wow, what in the world is happening here? Paul's a prisoner. He's amongst other prisoners. And they're on this boat. And Paul isn't getting special treatment from a guard. You know, uh, uh, just a, a run-of-the-mill guard. He's, getting, he's being treated kindly by the head guy, Julius the Centurion. Wow, what a witness that precedes Paul. Now imagine for a moment in, during the prisoner, prisoner exchange. You know, Julius... He comes over to Caesarea, meets the prison guard. The prison guard gives him the lowdown, says, okay, this is the group of guys that's going to Rome. You know, a bunch of guys come in and then, you know, but, oh, there's this guy, Paul. That Paul, he's, he's, he's a special guy. He's a really nice guy. You can have problems with your wife. Talk to Paul about your wife and then, you know, he'll give you good counsel. You got little rug rat kids. Talk to Paul. He'll give you counsel for your kids. And he'll talk to you about, you know, Messiah, I don't know, just let him speak. He'll talk to you about this. And then another guard will be like, oh yeah, Paul, he's a really cool guy. You know, he told me about the Messiah. And I don't know, I kind of, I don't know. There's really something about this Paul guy. You know, it's very interesting to see how the Holy Spirit is working. You know, when, I, when I, you hear me speak about the witness of a Christian, conduct becoming of a Christian, the Lord uses it as a tool to break barriers. Have you ever met somebody that's just, it's like they got like a five foot wall, 10 foot wall in front of them because they just don't want to talk to anybody. Number one, pray for these people. 
you know, why do they erect walls? A lot of times the walls are erected because of hurt, because of pain. And what's even worse is when it's from the church, from Christians, from a pastor, from an elder. You know, you think of pastors who molest kids. Disgusting, disgusting acts of sexual sin. And I have to be careful because in my carnal, I don't think good thoughts about these people, carnally speaking. So I have to be careful. But the harm it causes to a child as that child grows up, victim, wasn't his or her fault, a complete and total victim. And that child grows up and hates the name of Jesus Christ. Because you say Jesus Christ to this individual, maybe they were molested at age 9, age 10, and now they're age 30, and they hear the name of Jesus Christ and they cringe because they associate their molestation. And they build these big walls. And rightfully so. Look what... I, 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 it's not to say like, how dare you build a wall? Who wouldn't? It's, it's natural. They build these walls. But you know, let me tell you something about the Christian witness. Somebody might have 10 foot thick walls. And in the course of time, something happens. They start to realize, wow, this guy's a Christian. Wow, this girl's a Christian. And they didn't make fun of me. This guy's a Christian. This girl's a Christian. They tell me about the Lord. And, you know, I, I, I know the Bible. I remember the Bible. And he's right. She's right. I don't like it, but he's right. She's right. And the whole time, you know, you're praying for these people. You're praying for this individual. And you have your witness, Christian witness, becoming of a Christian. Sound doctrine. Everything's like, you know, everything. If you have a little checklist. Everything takes sound doctrine. You're not in crazy town. You know, sound doctrine, okay. You know, Moses and, and Peter, they say, be holy for the Lord is holy. Check mark, okay. You know, and you're moving on to perfection. You're moving, uh, moving on from the elementary things. And you're matriculating, growing in Christ. You have the greatest gift, which is love. And then you have your little che checklist. Boom, 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 boom. And you're praying. It's so beautiful what the Lord does in response to that. You know, he chips away. The 10-foot wall becomes the 7-foot wall, becomes the 5-foot wall, becomes the 3-foot wall, becomes the 1-foot wall, becomes no wall. And it's not no wall so you can attack. There's no wall there so you can befriend. Oh, I've been waiting to get through this 10-foot thick wall. Why? So I can hug you, my friend. I want to embrace you, my friend. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. You know, all those things I told you about the Lord. And it's so true. Are you ready to accept Him as your Lord and Savior? And it's so beautiful when you see the Christian witness as a, 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 a breaker of walls. You know, like people set up, they build up their uh, walls around them. In some cases, in a lot of cases, rightfully so, I do not blame them. Because, you know, this world, it's like a playground to some people. It's a piece of cake to some people. But to a lot of people, it's painful. It's very painful to some people. And some people, they think it's a playground, but sometimes their playground is a lie. They want to live it up and party. But no, you know what? There's a better way. Jesus Christ. And that's what's so cool when you think about Paul's witness. Think of that prisoner exchange. A group of guys. Here's the prisoners that are going to Rome. Uh, Julius. 
oh, but this Paul guy, he's a cool guy. He's a cool cat. He's a cool character. You know, he's always talking about the Messiah. He won't stop about the Messiah. But I let him. He gives good counsel. You know, I tell him about my wife. My wife gives me problems at home. You know, I come to work and I talk to him about it. And wow, this is good counsel. And I apply it. And look, my wife loves me now. You know, and it's so cool because it's like, wow, his witness precedes him. Look at the favor that the Lord is giving Paul here. And so it says, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. This is a straight up prisoner, Paul. He's getting liberty. He's, you know, from a centurion, not a low guy on the the totem pole. From the centurion, the head guy. Not the low guy who's, you know, turning the other head. Yeah, Paul, go ahead, get out of here. No, from the head guy. And he's treated kindly. And how it says to receive care, translates in the Greek as hospitality and a time of refreshing. And it's so beautiful. We see this here in verse 4. It says, when we had put the sea from there, remember there's in Sidon, it says we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. So they're using this landmass, Cyprus, as uh, this landmass to buffet the winds for calmer waters. And follow along on the map. And if you have it in the back of your Bible, follow along on the map and you'll see, you'll follow along, you go north and how they are in Sidon here. And then they start heading west because the whole objective is to get to Rome. And it's so beautiful. Like if you're in LA, Los Angeles, and you look during the Santa Ana winds, say it's like fall time and Santa Ana winds come, you're in the middle of the road. You got to be careful because, you know, a palm tree could fall down and hit you or the big palm branch could fall down and hit you in the face. And then, you know, you're, you're toast. And so this big Santa Ana wind's coming. And it's like, well, you get behind a building and it's like, well, you don't feel the wind anymore because you have this big, you know, this big uh, mass to protect you. And that's what they're doing here as mariners. You know, the, the, the boat goes behind Cyprus. And they're using it to, 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 to buffet the winds. And it's at a time period where the storm, it's like storm season, like fall. And it's storm season. You know, fall comes, the rains come, the storms come, rain, everything. That's what's happening here. And so in verse um, <clears throat> 5, And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia, so they go north, and Pamphylia, they head west, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship, an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. So remember, in verse 2 says that they entered a ship, the uh, uh, Adoratium. And if you look on the map, Adoratium is north. You know, so they got to go keep going west. And so they, get, they hop on another boat. Remember the destination, it's Italy. It says, Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days. So a lot of times the larger vessels, they're slower. They can handle more in the storm. But they're slower. I mean, you picture like a, a speedboat, you know, but then you have this big, enormous, gigantic ship. It can't go as fast as the speedboat, but in treacherous waters, the speedboat's toast. You know, it's the big, gigantic ship that's going to be okay. And so look what happens here. In verse 7, when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty to Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete of uh, Salmone. And so they're using the landmass again to protect them because they're, you know, they're, they're dealing, the, the, the person, the captain of the boat, the captain of the ship, you know, he's navigating through treacherous waters. 
And so you have these very skilled mariners, and that's what they're doing. They're getting you know, from point A to point B, and they're doing they're, they're using these islands. And so in verse 8, passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lasia. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. And so this fast, it's, it, it's, they're entering around the fall seasons. And in a lot of ways, navigationally speaking, the seasons determine courses, depending on the type of boat you have. But the seasons dictate the, the, the because of the waters. They're treacherous. You know, if, if, if um, in the fall season, in the winter season, you know, certain waters, certain coastal regions, it's very dangerous. You know, I've been on a, 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 a vessel before in the Pacific during El Nino. And it's no joke. <laughs> and my sea legs at the time. But it is no joke. I have pictures where I'm standing. It looks like, you know, it looks like I'm standing at a 45 degree angle or like a, you know, 30 degree angle. It's like, whoa, you know, what is that? Has, what, are there strings there holding you up? No, everything, it looks like, you know, it's a 30 degree, 30 degree angle. But if you, if you were outside the ship and you see, I'm standing straight up. It's the boat. The waters were so treacherous that that's how it was on the boat. And so look what happens here. It says, so Paul gives advice now in verse 9. He, st- he says in, in verse 9, Paul advised them. It translates as to recommend, advise, and to exhort. And Paul advises them. He opens his mouth. Verse 10, saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo of the ship, but also our lives. Also our lives. Whoa, that's a lot of loss. The disaster, you know, much, much lo- with disaster, much loss, and the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. That's that's Paul's uh, advisement, his recommendation. And what blows me away, you know, sometimes whenever you hear foolish people say, "Hey, I perceive this," or about they're about to give recommendation, immediately what I do is I look at the fruit. I look at their doctrine and I look at the fruit. If their doctrine is crazy town, I mean, if they do grave soaking. You know, which uh, teaching that emanates out of Reading. But if they do grave soaking and they start to say, oh, I perceive this, crazy town. In one ear, out the other ear. I don't accept it. Period. Point blank. I do not accept that counsel. Because their doctrine is crazy town. Now, if somebody says, okay, you know, oh, I perceive this, but then, you know, they're beating on their wife, cheating on their wife, going to strip clubs, doing their crack, doing whatever. I do not accept it. Because they have no fruit. They have fruit of the flesh, which is rotten, but no fruit of the Spirit. You have to be very wise in these days that we live in, who you accept the counsel from. Remember, Satan presents himself as an angel of light. You are the one. We are the ones who have to test the spirits. We're supposed to test the spirits. A lot of Christians get into trouble because they don't test the spirits. They figure, oh yeah, this guy's a nice guy, so I'll do what he says. This girl's a nice lady, so I'll do what she says. No, you don't. What in the world is their doctrine? They they do grave soaking, necromancy, and abomination before the Lord? And you're going to take that counsel? No way. No way. Don't do that. But when the wise person speaks, you look at the doctrine, you look at the fruit, and then they open their mouth and say, you know what? I perceive, and then they start to speak. Well, listen to those people. Listen to those people. I was with a pastor one time, and he wanted me to join in this 
ministry, a certain ministry. And he says, you know what, I think it, you know, you should uh, uh, join in this ministry. And I was like, eh, no thanks, thanks, but no thanks. I think you should join in this ministry. And I said, you know, we ended the conversation there. It was you know, nicer, I'm just kind of, you know, getting to the point here. But I was like, thanks, but no thanks. And so it was like, okay, we ended it there. And then a couple weeks later, he comes back to me. He says, no, you know, I really think you should join in this ministry. So it's okay, you know, this is the second time you're asking me about this. And I didn't say it like this, you know, I'm, I'm, there were more niceties involved. I'm just, you know, cutting to the chase. Uh, second time you asked me about this, so tell me, who, who are the people involved with this decision? Who are the, the people involved? Is, is, is this prayed about? Is this, you, you guys discuss this? What's up? And so he says, okay, there's this guy, this guy. We talk about this. We talk about this. It's like, okay. Well, you know, is that it? So, oh, oh, I forgot to mention, there's these old ladies that have been praying. And immediately my ears perked because I've seen these old ladies before. Beautiful, beautiful old ladies. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention these old ladies have been praying. And they're the ones that were talking about it. It's like, no, no complaints. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to say no way. I'm in. Why? Because the witness of these old ladies preceded them. And immediately, I, I knew the fruit. I knew the fruit in their families. I knew the fruit in their marriages, in their kids, in their grandkids. I knew the fruit. I could see the fruit. The fruit was available for all to see and all to taste of. And then at the same time, I knew their doctrine. You know, they're not grave soaking. You know, they're not old ladies, you know, laying down on grave sites to soak up the Holy Spirit. No, that's unbiblical. That's crazy town, which comes out of Redding, California. Don't do that. And so, you know, I started to inquire of this pastor and say, well, you know, you guys talk about it, you guys pray about it. Well, we talk this. Okay. And oh, by the way, by the way, these old ladies, they've been praying and they said, you know, they pinpointed you. Okay. I'm in. I didn't know. No arguing, no question. Nothing. As soon as they said these ladies, okay, I'm in. Let's do it. Praise be to the Lord. Because of their witness. And that's what I mean when I say your witness precedes you. How your witness can break walls, break barriers. And people have their hard hearts, their callous hearts. You know, they're callous for a reason. And I don't want to get, you know, psychoanalytical. But they're callous for a reason. You know, you hear me mention the, a 30-year-old guy. And you find out this 30-year-old guy has been molested. You know, I say that, but it's kind of a process to find out. And it's not that you're finding out for the sake of finding out. But, you know, you have a time period where, you know, you you befriend. Walls start to break, little chip in the wall. It's all the Holy Spirit. It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. And you're praying for the person, unbeknownst to the person. And the person realizes, well, I can talk to this guy. This guy's not going to hurt me. Man, this guy really cares for me. I mean, sometimes somebody tells me about sexual uh, victim that they've been, and they start consoling me. And I don't mean to uh, laugh at that, but they console me because immediately, like, tears start coming down my eyes because I think of them as children. You have this big, buff, 30-year-old guy, a male, like, tough. You, you look at him tough as nails. But what happened to him when he was nine years old? At the hands of a priest, at the hands of a pastor at the hands of an elder 
somebody who told him about Jesus Christ and the name Jesus Jesus Christ. He doesn't even like the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's a, it goes right back to that memory when he was nine years old. And somebody opens up and says, man, you know what? They realize you're not a threat. You're a friend. And then they say, I, I don't, you know, you keep talking about Jesus, but I, I don't like Jesus. Why? And they say, well, let me tell you what happened to me. And there's a cry. Oh, my goodness. You're a victim, my friend. You're a straight up victim. You know, a female opens up and says, you know, I was raped. I was gang raped. What? And people have their hard hearts. It's for a reason. You know, you read the Bible, a hard heart is bad. It's not good to have. But when somebody has it, it's there for a reason. And, it's, you know, sometimes it's just there because, you know, for whatever. But other times, the majority of times, it's there for a reason. Because they want to protect themselves from hurt. They want to protect themselves from pain. And you know what? Rightfully so. Because they've been hurt. Pray. Pray hard. Because we're living in days. Look at the church today. Look at pastors today. Look at elders today. Wolves and predators. You know, and then there's some that are shepherds unto the Lord. You know, if you have a pastor that's a wolf or shepherd, or a wolf or a a predator or a hireling, you need a new pastor. Get a new pastor. Be in the Word. Pray, and the Lord will show you. The Lord will guide you. Or maybe you're in a fellowship where the pastor's in crazy town doing his grave soaking. Crazy town? You know what? Start a home fellowship. Start a home, I mean, pray about it too, but <laughs> start a home fellowship, an alternative for the remnant. It's very important in these last days. A lot of times people say, oh, the church isn't in Revelation because it's been raptured. The church, after chapter three, the, the, the church isn't there because it's been raptured. No, me personally, I think the church has been judged. That's why it's not there. Because judgment comes first in the house of God. And if it comes first in the house of God, how much worse will it be for to those who don't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ? Brother Peter wrote that, writes that, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So then it goes, you know, mobile. Instead of the church model, you have the saint model, which is why you see saints all over Revelation. Now, I can dispute that with you. I don't mean to get into, you know, uh, doctrinal arguments, but I wonder, based on what I see, Look at churches, big popular churches doing grave soaking. Big popular churches where the pastor says, you know, uh, uh, husbands can, they, they do pornography because the wives let, that, let themselves go. It's stupid teachings, foolish doctrine. And when you hear these things, don't accept it. You have to know your Bible. Be a Berean. And so here Paul, he gives advice, he gives this recommendation He says in verse 10, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only for the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Also our lives. Now, look what happens. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. You have a mariner versus a tent maker, you know, and you're on a boat. Who are you going to believe? You know? A guy who's a skills, skilled helmsman navigating through the waters? 
versus a guy who makes tents? Who, you know, surely the mariner knows. Surely this guy at the helm knows. We're going to see what happens, what the Lord breaks down for us. And because in verse 12, and because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. So look what you have here. The mariner, the boat owner, the centurion, and the majority. And you have one guy, Paul, the tent maker. (laughs) The tent maker. You're the big old mariner. Have you ever seen like uh, uh, the, the mariner guys? Those are some burly guys. I mean, they're, you know, doing their ropes and doing the, spinning the things and doing this, doing that, moving the big old things. And this is some burly guys. And you got this little old tent maker. <laughs> Who's going to listen to the tent maker? Who in the world is going to take that counsel? No, I'm going to listen to these skilled mariners, these burly guys. Surely they can get us through the treacherous waters. Very interesting as we see things start to divvy out. Let's look at what happens here in verse 12. He says, The majority of ice to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the south, to the southwest and northwest and winter there. So let me tell you something. Logic and intellect have limitations. They also do present dangers. Logic and intellect have limitations and they also present danger. Paul, he's not a hypocrite. In any way, shape, or form, no hypocrisy in him. We've seen him submit to the government himself. We've seen him live peaceably among men. And then at the same time, we've seen him walk by faith. And that's what we're seeing here. By faith. All these people have their eyes open. And they say, oh yeah, we're going to believe the mariner. We're going to go with the centurions. What he thinks. The majority of the people, oh yeah, we got this. We're strong. We can handle these treacherous waters. But this tent maker. He says, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss. Not Not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. That's what I'm talking about, logic and intellect. It'll take you a certain distance. But where faith is required, logic and intellect, it fails. And that's what we're going to see exemplified in this chapter. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire. Oh, like, wow, we're getting our way. Look, it's soft wind. Piece of cake, Paul. You thought we should do this. You're just a tent maker. Let the professionals handle it. You're, you go, you know, here, here here's, here's a little, some fabric. Go make a tent. We got this. Logic and intellect. We got this. Supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. So you see, like, in logically speaking, well, now is the time. Let's go. Let's go and set sail. But let's stay by Crete. In verse 14, but not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose. Tempestuous tempestuous translates as stormy or stormy as smoky. Have you ever been like in a in a desert and it's clear skies, but in the distance, it's like it's middle of the day. But in the distance, it's like black. It's like straight up just black as night. 
and it's coming closer and closer and closer. And you can't even see the sky because it's all raining down. This big old humongous cloud is coming. And you see, that's what is, what's happening here. This tempestuous headwind arose called a Euroclidon. It's a surprise. Surprise. Remember verse 13? Supposing they had obtained their desire, what did they do? They set out to sea. In verse 14, this tempestuous headwind arose called a Euroclidon. The unexpected the unexpected very often exposes the errors of logic and intellect. Very often. Have you ever been caught off guard with whatever situation because you applied logic and intellect? And now, whatever is tempestuous, it comes along the way. Surprise! And you're caught off guard. That's what I mean when I say logic and intellect have limitations. And they do also present danger. Remember, there's one guy here, a tent maker, who says the disaster, there's going to be much loss. Loss of cargo, loss of ship, and loss of lives. One guy. Beautiful, beautiful brother Paul. A tent maker, yes. But strong in the spirit. Powerful in the Lord. And full of wisdom. And so look what happens here in verse 15. So when the ship was caught, you know, uh, I wonder at that time if they thought like, oh, snap, we should have listened to Paul. We should have listened to Paul. But in a lot of ways, it's too late. Now they have to endure certain things. And so look what happens here. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. You know, it's almost like, you know, letting go of the wheels at where the wind takes us, you know, wherever the wind blows. We let her drive in verse 16 and, and running under the shelter of an island called uh, Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. It's like a lifeboat. We secured the skiff with difficulty. Notice we. So like Luke is joining in like, wow, you know, this is dangerous. So he, the, the skiff was like a little lifeboat that they would drag along. And so they, they start to pull it in. Wow, we got to get this lifeboat. We might need this in a little bit. And they secured it with difficulty. We're going to need this. We're going to need this lifeboat. In verse 17, when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands. It's like sandbars. You see that in certain bodies of water, sandbars. And boats, they have, a nav they have to navigate around the sandbar. Depending on their weight, if they're a light little boat and they're light enough, they can go right over it because it's not going to affect them. But if a, it's a big ship, they have to be very, very careful because they sit down in the water much deeper. So, you know, there's sandbars wherever it is, you know, they can have an impact depending on the kind of boat. If you're a big, heavy boat, you really got to be careful. But if you're a little tiny boat, you know, you can get around certain things. But in a storm, you're toast in a little boat. And so it says that they're so concerned, they, they're fearing. Lest they should run aground on the Sirtis Sands, they, they, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lighted the ship. They lightened the ship. So they started like throwing things overboard so they wouldn't be so heavy, they wouldn't be so deep because they might hit the sandbar. So they wanted to lighten their load as much as possible. They started throwing things overboard. 
In verse 19, on the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard. Translates as like furniture, loose items. They start taking heavy things. Get this off the boat. You know, we're going to die with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. Remember, it's tempestuous. Uh, tempestuous. It's like stormies. You can't even, have you ever been in a storm? You can't see the stars. You can't see the sun. You can't see anything. It's tempestuous. It's a storm. And so many days and no small tempest beat on us. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Wow. I wonder if these people thought, wow, we should have listened to Paul. We should have listened to that tent maker. Here we are, these big burly guys. Surely we can handle the waters. And we got this little guy over here by the name of Paul. We should have listened to him. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Notice the we there. Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke, who walked with Jesus. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to put Luke I mean, in a lower position. I'm not trying to do that. And he, he probably wrote we because I mean, he's included. I mean, Paul could say we too because he's included in the boat. But very interesting to see Paul's a different. You heard me say a couple chapters ago, a couple weeks ago, Paul's a different animal. He's a different bear. He's a different bear. He's not like the other guys. There's something different about him. Remember, everybody's like, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. What does Paul do? He goes to Jerusalem. He says, what do you mean by, you're breaking my heart, you guys. But nevertheless, I'm ready to be bound. I'm ready to die for the name of Jesus Christ. He's different. Something different about this guy. In verse 21, But after long abstinence from food, alas, what happens here? Paul speaks. Wisdom speaks. Yet again, wisdom speaks. Then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. So, like, this, this ruin that we're in, this situation that we're in, this, you know, we had to throw things overboard. It was completely, totally unavoidable. It didn't have to happen. You should have listened to me earlier. Now what? Now what? In verse 22. And now, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So, the ship is toast. The ship is toast, you guys. You like this ship? Hey, owner, you like this ship? It's gone. Hey, mariners, you like this ship? Toast, it's gone. Except one thing, you'll get to live. You'll be alive. In verse 23, For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. You see, it's so beautiful to see what's happening here. It reminds me... In, in dark times in life, which they'll come, it's life. I mean, it, this world would cease being the world if it, didn't, if it was not accompanied with moments of darkness. But they're temporal. No matter how long that tunnel is, there's always light at the, at the end of every tunnel. Never forget that. Never, ever, ever forget that. There's always light at the end of every tunnel. Eh, it might be that the light is in paradise too. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but I mean, you know, truthfully speaking, it could be. But there's always light, nevertheless, at the end of every tunnel. 
And look what happens here in verse 23. There stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. So the storm is there. The tempest-tossed boat, the tempest-tossed men, they're scared. They're throwing things overboard. They're hungry. And in verse 20, we see that hope is lost. Meanwhile, Paul. Meanwhile, what's happening to Paul? Paul is having intimacy with God. It's through an angel, but it's intimacy with the Lord. You see how beautiful this is? And that's what can happen with you and with me in these dark days. When there's tempest around us. That's what's so beautiful about intimacy with the Lord. Remember the cloud that surrounded Moses? That's what's so beautiful about intimacy with the Lord. And this is what the angel said to Paul in verse 24, saying, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. I wonder how Paul was praying for the people. You know, all the people, are they're throwing things overboard. They're worried. They say, man, all hope is lost. And meanwhile, Paul is praying, Lord, protect these guys. These prisoners, Lord, protect them. Let them live another day. Let them live so that I can give them the gospel. Or for the gospel that I have given them, for the seeds I have planted, Lord, let there be fruit. In verse 24, God has granted you all those who sail with you. It says a lot about the heart of Paul. Praying for the guys. Unbeknownst to them, I don't know if they knew he was praying. Maybe Dr. Luke knew. Maybe Aristarchus knew. Oh, you know what? We're doing all these things and Paul's over there. But you know what? He's praying. Or you see Paul, you know, he's you know doing this, doing that. But you see his lips moving, you know, he's praying. Or you see his eyes are kind of focused out in the distance. He's praying. You know he's praying. And the Lord answers him. God has granted you all those who are who sail with you. And then he says to the men, that's the angel to Paul. Now Paul speaks to the men, therefore take heart, men, for I believe God. Pause here for a moment. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God. Now I'm going to tell you something. I don't like lording over anybody's faith. I don't like compelling anybody to do anything. You know, you believe in Jesus Christ? Heed him and walk with him. Apply his word in your life. And I don't like dictating. I, I very rarely, very, very rare occasion will I say highlight something because it's your relationship with Jesus Christ. But I'm going to take advantage of my pastoral authority <laughs> and say highlight verse 25. Not all of it. You can if you want. But therefore take heart, men, for I believe God. Highlight that. Highlight that. Because sometimes you're the only man standing. Sometimes you're the only woman standing. And you have your little checklist, you know, little uh, holy checklist. You have sound doctrine. You're not, you know, grave soaking like what, what, what they teach out of Redding, California. No grave soaking. That's crazy town. It's necromancy. It's an abomination before the Lord. You have sound doctrine. You're applying sound doctrine to your life. In your life. You're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You're growing in Christ. You're moving on to perfection. You're exercising love as the greatest gift. There's no hypocrisy in you. 
And the majority of time, in a time of peace, people will distance themselves from you. Because you're too hardcore. Oh, that's, that's too much. You're too hardcore. I like Redding. I like the music. I like what emanates from, from, from Redding, California, their music. I can align with this. And if they want a grave soak, I might join them in grave soaking. You're too hardcore. I don't like that. So yeah, I'll, I'll distance myself. But in time of tempest, when the storm comes, let your faith be an ark. Let your faith be an ark. That's why you see what's happening here with Paul. You know, you hear me say sometimes you're the only man standing or the only woman standing. Stand. Look at Chloe. You hear me talk about Chloe. We're going to touch on her little in a little bit, you know, a couple months. Beautiful, beautiful Chloe had to write a letter to Paul. Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? Where were the other Christians? No, it was Chloe who took a stand. She was the only woman standing amongst male pastors, amongst male elders. And yet she took a stand and she stood. And how beautiful her stand was, how beautiful her stand is, because it exhorts us 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years. Let your faith be an ark. And you say, you know, uh, sometimes you're the only man standing. And I wonder if you're like Elijah, male or female. I wonder if you're like Elijah. He thought he was alone too. But the Lord said, Elijah, it's okay. There are 7,000 guys here, 7,000 people who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not alone. So be of good cheer. That's why I say highlight verse 25. Not all of it, but just half of it. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God. And your faith, let it be an ark. Let it be an ark. Just what's happening here. In verse 25, that it will be just as it was told me. You see his intimacy that he has with the Lord. You know, as much as, you know, you and me, as much as we want paradise with the Lord, which is indeed true. We want to be in paradise with the Lord. Never, ever forget that God wants that too. He wants you in paradise with him. It's this, this vapor called life. It just... It separates us in the flesh. It separates us from the eye to eye. But in the spirit, man, we're heart to heart. That's what I mean when you have intimacy with the Lord. Heart to heart with the Lord. Yes, today it's in spirit. But one day it's going to be in our glorified bodies. Oneness with the Lord. Paradise with the Lord. And that's what faith, what happens with faith these holy ingredients called faith. And so look what happens here in verse 26. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Remember, the ship is toast. The ship is toast. Uh, that's what Paul says, you know, uh, uh, in verse 22. And now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. The ship is toast. But we all get to live. And then he says in verse 27. Now, when the 14th night had come, or not he says, but this is what. The Bible says, Dr. Luke writes, Now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. So there's this little sixth sense that, that 
when you're at sea for a long period of time, there's like a sixth sense where you can just the sound of the waves. They sound different when when a wave crashes on a wave. It sounds a lot different than when it crashes on ground, when it crashes on rocks. It just sounds it's a different tenor. Sometimes you can hear birds. It's just it's just it's just weird. Sometimes the air, the air is just different when you're near land. You can sense it. And so here it says uh, uh, the 14th night had come and we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors sensed that that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. So they like dip this weight in the water and they see how, how deep the water is. And so it's, you know, a certain depth and then they lift it up and they go, they wait, they keep going a little bit more in distance and then they put it down and they find the water's getting more shallow. They're losing depth, which means land is near. And so in verse 29, then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. That's pretty hardcore. Not one anchor. I meant one anchor would slow a boat down. Two anchors would slow it down faster. Three, four, they dropped four anchors down. They wanted to stop. Think how afraid. In verse 29, fearing lest we should run aground. I want you to think of the vibe. Like, I'm assuming that you're on dry ground right now. But when you're at sea, especially in, in these vessels, I mean, it's a different mindset. I meant running aground, I mean, the ship breaks in pieces, you're toast, you're going down with the ship. You're to- it's a violent, you know, broken wood, all these pieces of wood, they could stab you, cut off limbs, cut off heads, cut off legs. I mean, if you're not dying from drowning, you're dying from bleeding. And so it's like, it's, it's fearful. These are, it's, it's fearful times what's happening on the ship. And so it says, uh, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. You know, it's, some translations say they wished for day to come. Other translations say it pray. How it translates is to wish or pray. But you know what? Sometimes, you know, a wish, a prayer, a hope. You know, if that's what it takes for somebody to acknowledge the Lord, so be it. So be it. You know, a lot of times people say, oh, just love on people and then let the Lord, you know, the Lord, you know, you love on people and then, you know, the Lord will uh, bring them to Christ. You know, you bring people to Christ through love. And it's true. People can be attracted to Christ through love. But for me, I came to Christ out of fear. That's how it worked for me. You see passages in the Bible where people are freaked out like, you know, Peter, what do we do? You tell me this. What, what do we do? We're freaked out. And Paul says, repent. Believe in Jesus Christ. Receive the Holy Spirit. And some people are freaked out to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord because when you read the events of the last days, it's scary. Straight up scary. That's why you read passages in Joel, is the day of the Lord. Passages in the, in the minor prophets, the day of the Lord. And you're like, wow, that sounds scary. When Joel, you know, you have these passages, uh, don't look forward to the day of the Lord. Like, whoa, that's scary. And then you read uh, Peter. He says, look forward to the day of the Lord. And you're like, what is it? I don't get it. Do I not look forward or do I do look forward? What do I do? Well, the position is you. That's, that's, the, that's the variable. That's the factor. You. That's the factor. 
Are you in Christ? Look forward to the day of the Lord. Are you not in Christ? Don't look forward to that day. So, okay, what do I do? Get in Christ. Believe in Christ. Oh, you sound like you're scaring me to the kingdom. You sound like you're scaring me to Jesus Christ. Well, word for me. And look, and here we are. I'm telling you the same thing. I'm telling you these things. And I myself was freaked out to Jesus Christ. And when I was freaked out to Jesus Christ, I came to him. But you know what happened in so doing? I fell in love with him. That's what's so beautiful about how the Lord teaches us these things. And so look what happens here in verse in verse um, 29. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, so they <laughs> it's that they go to the front of the ship. So like the captain says, okay, let the anchors down. And some guys, they, they start laying one anchor down, two anchor down, three anchor down, four anchor down. And the guys who go to the front of the ship, instead of letting the anchor down, they're under the pretense of putting out the anchors. What do they do? They let down the skiff. They let down the rescue boat, the little uh, 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 lifeboat. So they, they, it was like, really, they were going to abandon the ship. They were like, we're out of here. We're out of here. In verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Wow, that's hardcore. It says a lot about Paul. You know why? He wasn't praying for the nice guys. He wasn't praying for, you know, the guys who treated him nicely. These guys wanted to jump. They lied, you know, under the priest. Yeah, Captain, we'll put the anchors down. Meanwhile, they started, oh, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Let's take the skiff. Look at the heart of these guys. And when the Lord told him through the angel in verse 24, and indeed God has granted you all those who, sa who sail with you, Paul was praying for them. All of them. Not the good guys. Not the guys that, you know, were nice to him. I mean, those two. But what about the guys who teased him? I, oh, little pipsqueak tent maker. Paul was praying for them too. It says a lot about Paul. Remember, he starts writing to the church. We're going to see these passages in his letters. Let yourself be cheated. Live peaceably with men. Submit to government. To submit it to those in authority over you. You know, all these things. Love your enemies. The greatest gift is love. And he himself, no hypocrisy. Remember, God granted him. God told him, all those who sail with you, everybody, they're going to be okay. God has granted you all those who sail with you. Which means what? Paul was praying for every single soul on that boat. And in obedience to the Lord, because the Lord told him, everybody's okay, everybody's going to be okay. And verse 31 says, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. It's all or none. All or none. Whoa. Talk about the heart of Paul. Talk about the heart of God. 
You say, wait a second, well, that's pretty hardcore. What do you mean the heart of God? It's Paul, he's a man. But he's reckoned his flesh dead. He's reckoned his old nature dead. He's carrying his cross. He himself told the brethren, I'm not ready to only be bound in chains. I'm ready to die for the name of Jesus Christ. This life is meaningless to me. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Whoa. Remember these passages. Remember the character and nature of Paul. Because it's the work of the Lord. In his life, in his heart. Remember, he used to kill Christians. Drag women out for imprisonment. Drag them out. When he had the council, when he had the opportunity to vote before the council, you know, what do you guys think, think we should do with this lady? What do you guys think we should do with this boy, this girl, this guy? What should we do with this family? Thumbs down. Kill him. Kill him. That was Paul. Look at what the Lord has done. And we're going to see him when he writes these beautiful letters to the churches. Guys, why are you doing this? Did I labor for you in vain? Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You guys hate me, but I love you even more. I caught you by cunning. What a beautiful, beautiful soul this guy is. In verse 32, then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. So <laughs> Paul says, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. What did the soldiers do? Okay, let's slice these ropes. This is a safety boat, this uh, lifeboat. Let's let it fall off. So Paul's counsel, remember in, 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 in verse 10, I perceive this, this is Paul. Men, I perceive this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. And because of their logic, because of their intellect, they say, well, you know what? I'm going to trust these able-bodied men, these able-bodied mariners. I'm going to trust the captain of this vessel. Surely they, they can get us through these treacherous waters. And then what happened? The tempestuous headwind arose. The Euroclidon. The unexpected came. It exposed the errors of logic and intellect. And where logic and intellect ends, that's where faith kicks in. You need eyes of faith. Especially in the last days. Even more so in the last days. You need eyes of faith. And then Paul said, in verse 21, Man, you should have listened to me. You should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And the whole time he's been praying for them, each and every one of them. The nice guys and the not so nice guys, he's praying for them. So Paul was ignored. Verse 32, Paul's counsel was ignored. The storm came and now his counsel is heated. He says in verse 31, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. What do the soldiers do? Cut the boat off. Cut the little skiff off. Paul's faith was an ark to the soldiers. The soldiers ignored Paul. Well, what's this little tent maker? I'm not going to listen to this little pipsqueak tent maker. Why should I listen to him? And then the storm came. He became an ark. His faith became an ark unto them. And so what happens? 
He gives counsel the second time. And they listen. It's an ark. And that's what your faith can do for others. Today, when things are in peaceful, you know, you're crazy. When things are peaceful, people will call you crazy. Oh, you're so crazy. You talk smack about writing. It's okay. I'll grave soak with them. It's okay. You talk about this guy who says, you know, it's okay for men to do pornography. That women, wives can perform sexually to bring their husbands to Christ. I could say more, but I'll refrain. When the storms come, let your faith be an ark, just as we see what's happening with Paul. And there's no pride in that. It's the work of the Lord. Look at his countenance. Look at his witness. We've been following Paul for three years, two, two plus years. I'll say three, between two and three years in captivity. We've been following him. Look at his witness. When is he a rebel rouser? When is he causing fights? No, he's living peaceably. In verse 33, And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Wow, you see, Paul, what a cool cat. You see, Paul, what a cool customer. And as much as you think like, wow, this is Paul, wow, beautiful. Yes, it is beautiful, but understand that it's the work of our Lord. It's the work of our Lord, the comfort that he's given Paul. Look at the past when he was beaten, when he was left for dead. You think those weren't troublesome times for him? But look at the work of the Lord. Look at all the way up to this point where the Lord has brought him. He's been in troublesome times before. Life-threatening times before. And the Lord was with him then, and the Lord is with him now. And that's what's so beautiful about your walk with the Lord. When the Lord brings you through troublesome times. When the Lord brings you through troublesome times. When the Lord brings you through a tunnel. It's dark, it's dark, it's dark, it's dark, it's dark. And it's unbearably dark. And then the light hits. And you're like, wow, praise the Lord. What happens when the next tunnel comes? Your faith is going to not diminish. Your faith is going to grow. Because you're like, wow, you know, the Lord brought me through this tunnel. He brought me, he's going to bring me through this tunnel. He brought me through that tunnel. He'll bring me through this one. And your faith is going to grow. And you're going to have tempestuous times. What about somebody else who's in tempestuous times? And you're like Paul on the boat. The sure footing. The solid rock. And not you per se, Christ in you. You're abiding in Christ. And He's abiding in you. You abide in Him. He abides in you. And you know what? He's also our strong tower. Now, if you're abiding in Christ and Christ in you and you're in our strong tower, let me ask you a question. How can any 
Tempest move you? Straight up, point blank, I'll ask you. If you're abiding in Christ, and He in you, and He is our strong tower, and you run into Him, how in the world can any tempest move you? You say, oh, but I'm, I'm crashing. I feel like I'm crashing on the rocks. I'm crashing on the waves. I'm all these. I'm tossed to and fro. Get on the rock. Get on the rock. Take my hand. Let's get on the rock. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Somebody tells you to go grave soaking, you tell them to go fly a kite. Why? Because it's not doctrinal. It is not sound doctrine. Somebody, a pastor tells you, you know, woman, you can perform sexual acts and bring your husband to Christ. Tell him to go fly a kite. Rebuke him in the name of Jesus. That's evil. You have to test the spirits because Satan presents himself as an angel of light. You see? Get on the rock, my friend. Male, female, old, young, I don't care. Get on the rock. Because tempest is coming. Tempest is here. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Get in the ark. And so look what happens here in verse 36. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. So Paul begins to eat. Paul says, you know, give thanks to the Lord. In the presence of them all, it's like, wow, who is this guy? We've never prayed before, and here he is. He's he, prays, he, he gives thanks to the Lord, and then he starts to eat. He begins to eat. In verse 36, they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. So Paul's demeanor, his behavior, is because it's he's, he's resting. He himself is resting on the rock of salvation, Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, you start to see, wow, it's his behavior is encouraging. It's comforting. If the Lord does that for him, he can do it for me too. You see, put yourself in these other guys' shoes. I doubted Paul. I thought he was crazy. I told him to go make his tent. I threw a little, little fabric at him. Say, here, go make your tent. Mocked him. And now I find out he's been praying for me. When he had no business praying for me, I thought he hated me. And now he's eating. He tells me to eat. And he praises the Lord. Whoa. Look at. They were encouraged. Who has encouragement in the middle of a storm? Who has time to eat in the middle of a storm? And here they are sharing a meal together. Giving thanks to the Lord. In verse 37. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. Whoa, that's a lot. That's a lot. So you have the guards. You have the mariners, and then you have prisoners. It's a lot of people. And then a small group of Christians there, of which are Paul, of which are Dr. Luke and Aristarchus, maybe more, I don't know. In verse 38, So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Now, I could fit in some major prophetic implications here, but I'll table that for another day. 
In verse 39, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. Wow, look at the, how much time they've been at sea. And then at the same time, these crashing waves are like never, never ceasing. Never ceasing. And finally, the, everything's just being broken up by the power of the waves, the violence of the waves. Verse 42, and the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away and escape. Remember, there's prisoners, mariners, the crew, the soldiers, the small group of Christians. Paul was a prisoner. He's a Christian and a prisoner. Little intersection there. And they're all here on this boat. For such a time as this, they're all here on this boat in tempestuous times. For such a time as this, where are the Christians in these tempestuous times? Where are the Christians on a solid rock of salvation as our firm foundation, as fishermen, as fisherwomen, wise? Where are the warriors? Look what happens here. The plan of the soldiers was to kill the prisoners. Because, you know, we don't want them to swim away. They're prisoners, so let's just kill them. And look what happens here in verse 43. But the centurion... The centurion, Julius, Julius, wanting to save Paul. Whoa, whoa, think of the witness of Paul. Wanting to save Paul kept them from their purpose. Remember, the soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners. Don't forget, Paul is a prisoner. They were going to kill Paul. Of all the people, it's the centurion that interceded. Talk about the favor of the Lord. Talk about oddity of oddities. The centurion stepped in. The centurion, the person who's bringing Paul to Rome. Ultimately, you know, he'll be beheaded. That's the guy, the one, the a vessel, a means by which Paul's life ultimately will come to its end. Included in that bunch, included in that endeavor, is giving favor of the Lord unto, unto Paul. That's so wild. Imagine Paul's witness if he was a rebel rouser, if he got in fight with the prisoners, he got in fights with the prisoners, got in fights with the guards. Do you think Julius would intercede? No way. That's what I'm talking about a Christian witness. How it precedes you in the name of Jesus Christ. Not in the name of you. Not in the name of, you know, whatever. In the name of Jesus Christ. A Christian witness. Countenance. Conduct becoming of a Christian. Remember these passages when we read the epistles, when we read Paul's letters. Because he writes, he exhorts, he warns, he teaches, he admonishes, he encourages without hypocrisy. And there's power. 2,000 years later, there's power. 
That's the Lord. That's the work of our Lord. And so in verse 43, uh, the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard, jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, so the non-swimmers, some on boards. Remember, the ship is breaking up, so take some of the wood. Some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land, thus fulfilling what the Lord had told Paul through the angel. That indeed, in verse 24, God has granted you all those who sail with you. All those who sailed. Verse 31, Paul says, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. It was all. All or none. And thus fulfilling what the Lord told them. You guys are all going to live. The ship is going to be toast, but you're all going to live. And thus it's fulfilled right here in verse, 20, verse 44. That's some hardcore stuff. And it's so beautiful because you start to see this firm foundation. Speaking of Jesus Christ. That Paul stood on. How these other people that were with him. The uh, 276 persons on board. They were the benefactors. They got in the ark this so-called arc of Paul's faith. One guy. One guy. As we get further and deeper into these last days, remember that. Let your faith be an arc. Because as these people were saved, and how the Lord spoke to Paul and encouraged Paul, and in obedience you see what Paul does, what Paul says, his conduct becoming of a Christian, let your light shine. Let your light shine. Be the salt of the earth. We're going to end our study here. And next week, Lord willing, we'll close up the book of Acts. God bless you guys. Love you guys.